I love this time of the year. And if you're a Grinch, you know, if you don't like Christmas, then stay away from me for the next few weeks because I love this time of the year. I understand that we do not know when Jesus was born, and there's probably a good reason to believe that he was not born on uh, December 25th, but we do know that he was born, and I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a day and celebrating the fact that the Son of God came to earth. We ought to sing about it. We ought to anticipate it. We ought to make a big deal about the birth of Christ. Yes, it's been commercialized. And I'll be the first one to admit that, that it has been commercialized uh, seemingly like everything else in our society. And Christians, we ought to be aware that we don't fall into the trap of selfishness and self-centeredness that can surround this time of the year. Because certainly it's easy to fall victim to that. If we're not careful, we'll forget what it's all about. I can remember as a teenager growing up on the South Side, uh, hearing stories of people that would stand in line for hours and, and even days to buy the latest pair of shoes at Christmas time. I remember hearing that. And uh, even hearing of people back in the day who would, who would get robbed at Christmas time. They would take their shoes, take their Jordans. It's sad. It's sad that that would happen. But even Christian people can care more about the shoes than the Savior. We ought to be aware. Shoes that someday will wear out like every other material thing. Shoes that, if worn, will become worthless. Shoes that can't walk you one step into heaven, won't help you walk, into the, walk in the Spirit, won't help you walk with God. We need to be careful that we don't elevate the physical things at Christmas time, that we put them in the right priority. So easy to get caught up, like I said, before a few moments this morning. I want to focus on the spiritual things that surround this time of the year, and even the impossible things. The impossible things. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1. We'll be looking at verse number 26 and, and reading together, or you could just follow along, reading through verse number 38. It's a part of the classic Christmas story in the scriptures. I'll read it, and I want you to pay special, special attention to each verse, everybody looking at a Bible. And if you don't have one, somebody around you does. And let's look at the Word of God for a moment. Luke chapter number 1, verse number 26. The Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Boy, and he is great, isn't he? He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. 
And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered, Pay special attention to the next few verses. It said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. I'm interested this morning in that little word, impossible. For with God nothing shall be impossible. The word impossible means unable to be done, hopelessly difficult. Impossible. We would call some things impossible. Now be careful what you call impossible. Just watch out. Some said it was impossible for the Cubs to win the World Series. But I was there. With Jesus, all things are possible. <laughs> Those same detractors, wicked men, have said that it's impossible that the Bears would ever win a Super Bowl. But I have faith that with God, all things are possible. But I see three impossibilities in this scripture made possible with Jesus. Three things I want to point out to you this morning that man would call impossible, and frankly, they are impossible. Truly impossible. Hopelessly difficult. Utterly unable to be done, but with Jesus, like the Bible says, nothing shall be impossible. There have always been things thought to be impossible, only to be proven possible. I did some research on this earlier this week, came up with a couple of stories, and they've kind of tickled me. Uh, listen to this one. In the early 1900s, the New York Times published an article about human flight, stating that it would take, quote, one to ten million years for a machine to fly. Nine weeks later, the Wright brothers achieved flight on a small strip of land in North Carolina. Lee DeForest, the father of the radio, is on record saying that while theoretically and technically television may be feasible, this is what he said, practically, it is an impossibility. If he could only see the world that we're living in today, or it seems like there's a screen everywhere in every room of the home, even in our cars. I was walking through Home Depot the other day and I saw a, a, a refrigerator. The refrigerator had a screen on it. And he said that it would be practically an impossibility. He also said that man would never reach the moon. So. Apparently he knew what he was talking about with radio, but that's about it. Yes, there have been things that at once were thought to be impossible, only to be proven possible. But this morning, I want to point out three human impossibilities that are only made possible with Jesus. Listen as I preach the impossible made possible with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless now this message, Lord. The time that we have, I pray that every word would, would matter. Lord, that you truly would hide me behind the cross as I preach the Bible. 
God, we know that there's power in the Word of God, and we pray that we would see that power manifested in this room, even this morning. Lord, as we think about Christmas, I pray that you'd help us to get our minds exactly where they ought to be, not wrapped up in the foolishness of this world, but rather on spiritual things. God, I pray this morning that you would save the lost and encourage the saint, all of us facing impossible situations from time to time, but knowing that with God, nothing shall be impossible. Bless us now in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The impossible made possible with Jesus. I see three impossibilities that because of Christ, they are possible. I want to point them out to you. Number one, I see in this text an impossible incarnation. An impossible incarnation made possible with Jesus. Incarnation simply meaning that the Son of God took on flesh. And that deity collided with humanity and, and the Son of God became a human being. The impossible incarnation. I want you to know that this incarnation was anticipated. Uh, Jesus showed up, not unexpectedly, but he showed up on God's timeline, the Bible says, when the fullness of time was come. This incarnation was prophesied in Scripture 700 years before Jesus uh, took on a robe of flesh. Uh, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, this is 700 years prior to it happening. Listen to the Scripture. He said, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, 700 years prior to it. Isaiah said it was going to happen. Not only was his presence prophesied, but the very place where he would be born would be prophesied. In Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, the scriptures say, But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Hey, uh, this impossible incarnation made possible through Christ. It was anticipated. It was prophesied in the scripture. Before he ever showed up, people knew that he was coming. The Bible declared that he would come. He didn't show up at the wrong time or with the wrong person. Luck didn't happen to land on Mary that day. They were looking for Jesus. You say, Brother Judah, that is impossible. Yes, it is. But with man it is. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. It was prophesied in the scripture. It was performed by the Spirit. Born of a virgin. That's an impossibility. With man it is, but with God nothing is impossible. Listen to verse number 31 of Luke chapter number 1. Uh, the angel Gabriel speaking to the virgin Mary, and he says this. He says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. Verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This was not uh, uh, the result of a man and a woman coming together. 
This was a heavenly thing. The Bible says a virgin shall conceive. And in case you didn't know, that would be an impossibility for a virgin to conceive. It's impossible. Yet it had to happen, performed by the Spirit, ensuring the sinlessness of Christ could not be tainted. The significance of the virgin birth. You see, if Mary and Joseph had come together, even even within the proper confines of marriage, then Jesus would have, inha- would have inherited a sinful nature, passed down uh, the Adamic line to every man. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into this world, so death by sin, so death passed upon all men. By the way, you're a sinner. You're, you're not a sinner today because of what you do. You do what you do because you are a sinner. You were born in sin. You don't have to teach a baby to lie or to steal or to throw a fit. Uh, That sinful nature is coded in a child's DNA uh, from birth. Uh, But Mary, you have to understand something. The Holy Ghost of God is going to superintend the birth of the Son of God. She wasn't even married to Joseph yet, but there was a baby inside of her that could only be produced by the Holy Ghost. Wow! Man, you say, Brother Judah, that is impossible. And it is impossible with man, but with God, nothing shall be impossible. Prophesied in the scripture, performed by the Spirit of God, proclaimed by his servants, shepherds, told everyone about it. Wise men said he's born in Bethlehem. Simeon would say, behold, this child, uh, there's never been a baby like the baby Jesus. And, and if it's true, and it is, then we, you and I, I challenge you today, we ought to proclaim the coming of Christ. Impossible incarnation. Impossible. Second thing I see is this. Impossible reconciliation. Man, we think about Christmas, the virgin birth and the coming of Christ. It's an impossible incarnation. Man could not do what was done. It was superintended by the Holy Ghost of God. Impossible incarnation. Secondly, I see an impossible reconciliation. Impossible reconciliation made possible, made possible with Jesus. Listen to the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 18. If you're able to turn there quickly, do so. If not, just hear me, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 18. The Bible says this, and, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling uh, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Impossible reconciliation made possible with Jesus. Sometimes you hear of a couple separating, and they'll state in the court documents that there were irreconcilable differences. They were unable to come together again, though they've tried. Too many problems, too much hurt, too much difficulty. And so they simply state irreconcilable differences. Truth of the matter is that there is no hope for my city, no hope for this church, no hope for our families, no hope for my eternity 
without Jesus Christ. We have irreconcilable differences. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. He is the answer for today. The Bible says that no man shall see the Father except through the Son. It was impossible for me to find peace with God. It was impossible for me to get to heaven. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No amount of money could purchase a ticket to heaven. Rich people are in hell today. No amount of goodness could merit favor with God. Way back in the Garden of Eden, my friend, there was a breach between man and God. Sin entered into the world. There was a divide. There was a chasm. A man could not build the bridge strong enough to get to God. The Bible teaches there's but one way, but one way for man to be together with God, and that is Jesus reconciling us to the Father. He was born into this world. He lived a perfect life. He was nailed to an old rugged cross. And on that cross, he paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin. And when he bowed his head and said, it is finished, he built that bridge to God, crossing an impossible chasm, impossible reconciliation. Listen to this scripture. Listen to it in Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 20. The Bible says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You say, Brother Judah, what are you getting so excited about? You remember the time when you were alienated from God. Do you remember the time when, when you were lost, the Bible says, and an enemy to God? I do. I remember that time. I was 14 years old, searching for something, not knowing where to find it. And I'll tell you what I'm getting so excited about. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was deaf, but now I can hear. I was dumb, but now I can talk. God knew who I was. He knew where I was. He knew my location. And the day when I realized I couldn't help myself, and I looked to heaven, and I cried out to God, and said, Lord, have mercy on me. That's exactly what he did. He had mercy on me. Bringing together, hey, God and man reconciled by Christ. The only reason I'm even in church today is because Jesus said, I love you and I died for you and I will hear you when you call on me. That's why any of us are here today or saved today. An impossible reconciliation made possible with Jesus. That's what Christmas, friend, that's what Christmas is all about right there. It's not about the shoes. It's not about the latest whatever. It's about the Son of God that was miraculously born into this world, born to die for one reason, that you and I might be brought back together with God. It's wonderful. Impossible. You say, Brother Judah, impossible. Yes, it is. Impossible with man, possible with Christ. I see an impossible incarnation. I see an impossible reconciliation. And I love the fact that it doesn't end there. You know, 
I often say when I preach to teenagers, if all Jesus ever did was save me, that would be more than enough. If all he ever did was die on a cross and save my soul, that would be more than enough. But it doesn't stop there. There's an impossible incarnation, an impossible reconciliation. And third, I see an impossible transformation made possible with Jesus. Impossible transformation made possible with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus is not only in the saving business, he is in the changing business. Not only will he save any man that sincerely comes to him in faith, but that man can also be changed by the power of God. I was reading a devotion that one of my friends put out uh, earlier this week, talking about the transforming power of Jesus. It says he transformed worthless water into wine. And I got thinking about the maniac who lived among the tombs, uh, naked, wild, demon-possessed. And after an encounter with Jesus, he was clothed and seated and in his right mind. I got thinking about Mary the harlot who had no doubt committed many uh, terrible sins on this earth before she met Christ. But after she met Jesus, transformed into one of the most devoted followers of Jesus. His name was Saul of Tarsus the persecutor of the church. By his own testimony, out of his own words, he said that he was the chief of sinners. There's no doubt in my mind that Scripture shields us from some of the unspeakable atrocities that Saul of Tarsus committed as he separated uh, husbands and wives and parents and children to haul them before courts and wicked men uh, to persecute them. Deliver them to their death. And one day this wicked man, on the road to Damascus, it was a story he would tell again and again and again, comes face to face with Jesus and he is transformed. Given a new name, now Saul, the once great persecutor of the church, would be called the Apostle Paul and he would be used to write much of the New Testament. You say, Brother Judah, that is impossible. Yes, it is. With man, it's impossible to have a change like that. But with God, all things are possible. I read this. It's been said that nature forms us. Sin deforms us. Education informs us. Penitentiaries reform us. But only Jesus can transform us. He is a transformer. Two stories and I'll be through. Many of you know the story of John Newton. As I was searching for a way to illustrate the transforming power of Jesus Christ, this story kept coming to my mind again and again and again. John Newton was a man that, was despic that, that despicably sold other human beings in the slave trade. He was a miserable human being, racked with guilt, running from God. He was lost blinded by sin. He would describe himself as a wretch. One night, while searching throughout the African coast for slaves that he could capture and eventually sell for profit, Newton and his crew encountered a storm that lasted for 11 hours. This storm swept 
some of his crew into the water, no doubt to perish, swept his men overboard. And his story is that in the middle of that storm with both hands fastened to the wheel of the ship, John Newton uh, cried out to God saying, Lord, have mercy on us. And God not only saved John Newton that night, but he transformed John Newton. He who once advocated for the slave trade now was desperate to see this horrible practice abolished. God gave him a new heart. He worked tirelessly to see an end of slavery. In December of 1772, God gave John Newton the words to a song that he would entitle Amazing Grace. You can hear his testimony woven throughout even the first verse that says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In later years, John Newton would begin to lose his memory. And although his thoughts were limited, Newton said that he could remember but two things. Right at the end, he could remember two things. First of all, he would remember, he would say this, quote, that I am a great sinner. And secondly, that Christ is a great Savior. Newton passed from this life in 1807 at the age of 82. He did live long enough to see the signing of the act for the abolition of the slave trade. I've given you biblical examples, the transforming power of Christ. I've given you historical examples, the transforming power of Christ. But you need look no further than this very room to see the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I could take you to almost any section in this room and a man or a woman or a teenager would stand and say that their lives were changed by this same Jesus. I didn't ask him ahead of time, but he said it publicly. And I apologize for using your name, but it's where I'm going right now. Just a month ago, just one month ago, one of our members, Brother Greg Pine, stood right behind this pulpit. And I had never heard his testimony in full before. And so when he took the pulpit overcome with emotion, I was immediately riveted by what he had to say. He's in this room today. He stood here and he told the church family how he was lost struggling without God, an adult looking for answers in a bottle, only to find none. How on one night, Jesus saved him, and Jesus saved his wife, and Jesus saved his marriage. And he sits here today, none of us are perfect, but those, there's several in this room that can raise their hand and say, I'm not perfect, but I've been changed by the grace of God. That's what Christmas is all about, man. It's the incarnation. It's the reconciliation. It's the transformation. These things are truly impossible with man, but with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. I was privileged to preach the 71st anniversary of, of my home church a couple of months ago. And by the way, I'm thankful for the Jordan Baptist Church. Soul winners there that... We're looking for teenagers. I've given my testimony many times, many times. On a Monday night, under the conviction of the Spirit of God in a revival meeting after attending church for several months, I finally walked the aisle 
and trusted Christ as my Savior. I tell the story how a bus worker took me into a side room, and there in that side room I knelt, put my right arm on a filing cabinet. I always say that. It's as vivid today as it was 29 years ago. Put my right arm on a filing cabinet, and there I received Christ. I've told the story hundreds of times. A few months ago, that church asked me to come back and to preach the anniversary service, 71st anniversary of the church. I made my way to the church. I got there early, and I found myself in a side room in the church. And in that side room, I was staring at the filing cabinet, the very filing cabinet that years ago I had knelt at. I was curious. I've told all kinds of stories about that filing cabinet. And I always talk about hundreds of people have heard me say that I knelt there and placed my right arm on it and received Christ. And so here I am looking at it. Should have been studying for the message, but I was just staring at that filing cabinet. And I had this thought, I wonder what's in that filing cabinet. And so I opened it up. When I opened it up, I saw a bunch of files <laughs> alphabetized. So curiously, I went to the J's. I began to search through the file that had the J's on it, looking for anything that would have my name on it. Came across a stack of cards. Back in the day, they called me Abby. My mom called me that. She was trying to punish me. <laughs> I came across a card. I, I remember the day like it was yesterday. But I never knew the date. I never knew the exact time. And there, just a couple of months ago, I was looking at a card. Do we have the card on the screen? You can see it there. Abby Judah, 9-18-94. West 127th. Apartment 2A, Blue Island, Illinois. Coming for salvation. I was looking at that card. Brother Eddie, I was remembering the time that I trusted Christ in that very room next to that very filing cabinet. You'll notice the card is stapled. The next card, there's not another picture. I only took a picture of it. It's funny. I didn't want to steal anything from the church. And so I took a picture of it. I need to go back and just ask if 29 years serving the Lord has earned me the right to have them make a photocopy of that and give me the original. You know, that card is worth more to me than my high school diploma, than my college diploma combined. That card is worth more to me than any amount of money in a bank account. Because it pictures something, my friend. It pictures the transforming power of Jesus Christ. On the next card, it was the, the day that I came and announced to the church that God had reached down and called me to preach the gospel. Just a few cards there. All the decisions that I had ever made public there at Jordan Baptist Church. That, that right there is a picture of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I saw it and I thought to myself, a bitter teenager on the south side of Chicago. Mom and dad had been divorced, dad abandoned the house, bounced around from place to place, bitter, confused. Drugs had been introduced to our family. And of all the places that I could be today, I'm standing behind a pulpit preaching the gospel. That, my friend, is the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Impossible, impossible, made possible 
through Jesus. So how are impossible things in our lives made possible with Jesus? I want to just for one more moment or, or two show you something. I think of impossible broken relationships, wayward children, difficult circumstances. And friend, listen to me. Jesus is still doing the impossible today. You and I need to get a hold of the fact that our God can still do impossible things. I'll admit it. Oftentimes, we don't see it. Look at Luke chapter number one. And everybody, one more scripture. I want you to see this. This is a, this is a tremendous thought here. Mary is told that soon she'll have a baby. She understands that would be an impossibility. She, she understands that. The Bible says in verse number 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I want you to do me a favor. We're going to read that verse again, but I'm going to stop at a certain spot, and I want you to take note of where I stop. Mary, you're going to have a baby. That's impossible. That is impossible. Verse 34, how shall this be seeing I? Just stop one moment right there practically. Mary, if all you ever see is yourself, it may never happen. And Christian, if all you ever see is yourself, you'll never see the impossible. If all you ever see is your sin, you may never see the impossible. If all you ever see is your circumstance, you may never see the impossible. How shall this thing be? Seeing I, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes back on God who says with God, nothing shall be impossible. I believe the key to seeing the impossible things of God is found in verse number 38 where Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The key to seeing impossible things is wrapped up in one word, and it is the word surrender. Before a man can ever be reconciled to God, he must first surrender his heart to Jesus, and only Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, none other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. Before a man can ever get to heaven, he must surrender what he's been trusting in and place his faith and trust wholly in Jesus and call on him for salvation. And before a Christian can truly be transformed, he must surrender his way, his own ideas, and submit to the Bible way and allow God to do a work in his life. The impossible made possible through Christ. What's Christmas all about? It's all about an impossible incarnation, an impossible reconciliation, an impossible transformation, but all made possible with Jesus. God wants to do impossible things in your life, and he can through his son. Would you bow your head, please, and close your eyes?